name's Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 47. I've got a few things I'd like to talk about today. I want to talk about those times when a child doesn't seem to be doing anything much at all and when our strewing fails. And I also like to discuss the question, how do we decide if unschooling is successful or not? Sometimes people Google unschooling success stories. What do they base success upon? I've also got a few stories to tell, a few resources to share if I don't get carried away and talk too much, and a few more updates. So I hope you'll stay with me and listen to the whole episode. to start with a story about Gemma Rose. Gemma Rose is our youngest child. She's 11 years old and she's at the stage where she quite often says to me, what are we going to do today, mum? And I say, well, what would you like to do, Gemma Rose? And she says, oh, I don't know. So then I make some suggestions and she quite often turns her nose up at my suggestions. They don't appeal to her at all. So it gets a bit frustrating I go through the cycle again of, what do you like to do? I tell her I'm willing to spend time with her, but I have to know what she would like to do with me. It can be quite disheartening when all our strewing or all our suggestions are, are rejected, when a child doesn't want to do any of them. I often come up with suggestions which sound very exciting to me. Would you like to learn how to take a video? We could make a video of you doing blah, blah, blah. I could show you how to edit it. Would you like to have your own YouTube channel? Would you like to learn how to take photographs? I mean to say, what school child wouldn't like to have their own YouTube channel? When I think about it, of course, these suggestions are based on my own interests. They're things that I would have loved someone to suggest to me when I was a child. I find it very exciting that With a small amount of equipment and the use of the internet, I can do such things as make videos, things that I could only dream of as a child. So why doesn't Gemma Rose want to learn how to make videos? We could have a fantastic time together sharing this interest. Unfortunately, she's not interested at all. She definitely wants to do something with me because every day those words, what are we going to do together today, mom? I really think that she'd be quite happy sitting down and listening to me read all day. She does like it when I read aloud from the various books that we have got on the go. Of course, I can't sit there and read all day. Apart from anything else, my voice would give out long before Gemma Rose's interest gave out. Although I'm happy to spend that time with her, it's got to be something more than just reading. I know that she'd be interested in watching things as well. If I found some YouTube videos, she never objects when I say, would you like to sit here and watch this video with me? She's always the first one to plonk herself down next to me, ready to see what's on offer. Gemma Rose is the only one of my children who don't seem to get involved with their own things. The others don't hang around waiting for me to suggest things. As soon as our morning routine has been completed, as soon as we've uh, gone for our run, done a few chores together, said our prayers, 
then you'll probably find all my children have gone off and their heads are in their computers or in a book or whatever they want to do for that day. They're already doing it. But not Gemma Rose. I don't think she's found her big passion yet, and I'm not surprised at 11 years old. Maybe it's a bit too soon. And I've been thinking that perhaps she doesn't actually do too much in the day. Perhaps she hasn't got any interests. What does she do when everybody else is busy? Normally she has her head in a book if nobody is paying her any attention. She'll get one of her library books out or one of the books off the shelf, and she'll be quite happy to sit there all day reading books, which is good. And I was thinking, well, maybe she does nothing but read books all day. And then the other day I decided that I would observe her more. Because what I think I'm doing wrong is I'm strewing things that I like, things that Sophie likes to do. And I haven't paid enough attention to what Gemma Rose likes to do. I'm just thinking that she doesn't like to do very much at all, so anything goes. But that's not quite true. I've had a closer look at her and she is interested in certain things and maybe my strewing will be more successful if I forget about what I like and start tuning in more to what she likes doing. So what does she like doing? Well, where she's had her head in her book this week, I asked her, what are you reading? She's got a Kindle. She says, I'm reading Little Dorrit, Mum. Little Dorrit, Charles Dickens. I tried to read that a year or so ago. I did eventually finish the book after two attempts. It took me months to read it. I asked her how long she'd been reading it. Oh, I started it a few days ago, Mum. Where are you up to? 88%. And last night she actually finished the book, which I don't think is a bad effort for an 11-year-old. Charles Dickens, she read that in a few days, and she thoroughly enjoyed it. As a sideline there, 88% real-life maths. If you want to teach your children about percentages, get them a Kindle, because that's how Gemma Rose has got the hang of what percentage means. Not only has she been reading Little Dorrit, we've been watching two or more episodes of the BBC mini-series of Little Dorrit each evening. It's not the first time we've watched it, it may be the third or the fourth time, but Gemma Rose can't get enough of it. And we've been talking about the episodes, she's been telling me about the book, she remarked on how much she liked Charles Dickens's style of writing. And I said, he's rather witty, isn't he? And she agreed, and she gave me a few examples of places that she had thought were particularly humorous. So, Gemma Rose likes Charles Dickens. She also likes Jane Austen. We've sat through Pride and Prejudice, the very many uh, different versions that we have got over the last few weeks as well. And the other night she branched out and saw a film version of another classic novel, Jane Eyre. She'd never seen that one before. It had been sitting on our shelf, and I suggested it as something different to watch. And she really enjoyed that as well. So these are all classic novels that she has been enjoying in film version, miniseries, movies. But she also wants to read them. She asked me last night, do we have great expectations? as a Kindle book, and I said no, but I could find one for her very easily, and I'm going to do that. The other morning, Gemma Rose and I were the only people at home. Imogen had taken Charlotte and Sophie into town for their piano lessons, and I thought this is an ideal time to spend some time with Gemma Rose, find a few things I can do with her. So I thought I'd follow up that interest in Little Dorrit. 
we got on the internet and we were looking at the cast. We had found some interviews of the people that the actors and the actresses who played the characters in Little Dorrit. And we listened to a few of these interviews on YouTube. We found an animated video about Charles Dickens, which was very interesting. We read about all the different characters in Little Dorrit. There was a lot of other things that we could have followed up as well. I suggested she put together an Evernote notebook about Little Dorrit. And on the surface of it, she was enthusiastic about this idea. Clip all these YouTube videos into the notebook. Copy and paste pictures of the characters, favorite scenes from the miniseries, and other things, maps. We had a look at a map of Dickens's London, an old map. We actually located Bleeding Heart Yard, which is in Little Dorrit. And we looked on the Google Maps of the same area in the present day time, so, and compared the two. So we did quite a lot of things together that morning, all based around Little Dorrit. Now is Gemma Rose going to keep up her Evernote notebook about Little Dorrit? I doubt that very much. I think that's an idea that I like more than she does, but I think she's open to me suggesting we might sit down and explore these classic novels and a mini-series in more detail. That's the sort of thing she is interested in and likes to do and to discuss all the ins and outs of the characters and the plot and Charles Dickens and, I guess, Jane Austen as well. That's the sort of thing that she likes doing. Sophie happened to be sitting in the same room as us when I suggested an Evernote notebook on Little Dorrit and a little bit later on in the day she said to me, you know that uh, notebook idea, Mum? Do you think I could do one of those notebooks? I said, oh yeah, go for it. If you want to do one, fine. So maybe Sophie would like to put together a notebook on something. Hers is more likely to be on photography, though, than Charles Dickens. Another thing I've noticed that Gemma Rose is doing is making notes for her NaNoWriMo novel. November is NaNoWriMo month, National Novel Writing Month. And in this month, writers come together online and they're all going to be trying to write a novel of 50,000 words in 30 days. My girls have done this challenge a number of times, and they've been successful a number of times. I think I've done it three times. I didn't do it last year, and I'm not planning to do it this year either. I've still got another novel that I want to edit. But Gemma Rose is getting all excited about NaNoWriMo. Last time she did NaNoWriMo, or rather Camp NaNoWriMo, she wrote a novel of 80,000 words, and that's a lot more than many adults can write. So this is a big interest of hers, and she has an A4 notebook, and she's been plotting out what she's going to be writing about, describing her characters, writing down ideas, and her notebook is filling up. And it's all in cursive handwriting, which, if you've been listening to my podcast, you'll realize the significance of that. She's been practicing her cursive writing while she's doing this. Gemma Rose is also drawing the characters out of her next NaNoWriMo novel. She's been working on faces. She wants to be able to draw realistic faces, and she's been working hard at this. Sophie has lent her some special pencils, which have flesh-colored tints. And she's been using this to shade the faces. And there's also hair-colored pencils as well. So she's been working really hard on her drawing. 
She's also been reading her books, as I've told you. I could sit there and ask her about her novels. I did that once and discovered that a lot of her novels that she was reading were all set in Venice, which led off to a nice sideline. I went looking for things about Venice for her, some videos, some documentaries. She's also been playing the piano and singing and listening to a lot of music on her MP3 player. All the girls like things like the Piano Guys and Taylor Davis and Peter Hollins. The one other thing Gemma Rose does like to do is to make things. And I realized that a lot of times she'll ask me if she can make something and she'll need a little bit of help. She'll need me to buy something or she'll need me to sit there and help her with it. And we don't actually get around to doing it. So that's one other area I could be doing better at. Chimeras especially likes to make things when I'm reading out loud. That's her perfect morning for me to read out loud while she sits there keeping her hands busy, crocheting something or sewing a doll or drawing a picture, something like that. So that's another area that I can explore with her, find some things that she might like to make. So I don't think Chimeras is doing nothing at all. I think I just haven't been watching closely enough been maybe too involved with my own interests and things that I find interesting. So I'm going to go out there and try and make my strewing a little bit more directed at um, Gemma Rose. Find some more videos too, I think. I, I think we've watched the same uh, Jane Austen's and Charles Dickens's a number of times. I probably could find something along that line for her to enjoy as well. another daughter who at one time looked like she was doing nothing much at all. This is Charlotte. Charlotte is 18. She turned 18 a week or so ago. In her early teenage years, Charlotte used to be the type of child who was very enthusiastic about everything, very much like Sophie. Anything I suggested to her, she would rush off and have a go at. She would always be eager to tell me about her discoveries. Every evening she came to see me and t would tell me about what she'd been learning that day. And it was very easy for me to find things to keep her occupied. She was always open to everything. And then one day she changed and it seemed to me that she didn't need me anymore. She wasn't very interested in what I was putting before her. A lot of my strewing failed. I actually wrote a blog post called What to Do When Strewing is Rejected. The answer to that one was to use all the things for myself because it was me who was very interested in all the things that I was putting before her. I couldn't understand why she wouldn't be interested in this particular video or that particular book because I thought they sounded very, very interesting. Of course, yes, I did, so I should have gone off and used them. But Charlotte, nope. She didn't want to know. It got to the stage where Charlotte sort of withdrew from me. She didn't want me to have much to do with her education. She was quite self-sufficient. I didn't really know what she was doing for the last couple of years of her official school years. I assumed she was doing stuff. Imogen, who shares a bedroom, would say to me, oh, Look, Mum, she's on the computer doing something and she's reading a lot of books and... I knew she was drawing and listening to music. And I had to take a step back and just trust that she knew what she was doing. Because if, when I kept asking her, what have you been doing today, Charlotte? It 
started to sound like I was interrogating her, and she would close off. Don't you believe that I'm doing anything, Mum? So I stopped doing that, and I just left her to herself. At the back of my mind was the thought, is it right to give her so much freedom? Not just to give her the freedom, but then not expect her to come and report back to me on all the things that she is learning so that I feel better about it. But yes, as I said, I backed off. And she was actually giving herself a wonderful education. Even though she didn't really need me anymore. I think that's her personality. She's very self-sufficient. She likes to do things her way. And she's quite happy pottering along, learning her own way without any direction from me. That's been hard for me to accept because I want to feel useful. I want to feel needed. And quite sometimes I say, nobody needs me anymore. All the girls say, well look mum, isn't that what your job is to make us independent? And we do need you mum. We love you very much. And then they might give me something, a request, just to emphasize that they do need me after all. So I should be very proud of Charlotte because she had a great success this week and I want to talk about that. But before I do, I want to talk about how do we decide unschooling is a success. Now because I have an unschooling blog, sometimes people ask me about my children so they can decide whether unschooling is successful or not. What criteria do people use to decide that? Is it academic success? Has unschooling been successful for us because all my older children have studied at tertiary level, at university level, and have got good marks at that level? Does that mean that unschooling has been a success for us and that it will be a success for other people as well? Well, I don't rate success on academic success or how many university degrees or what grade someone will get. That's not how I rate the success of unschooling, though I think a lot of people do. For a start, not all children are going to want to go to university. Not all children are academically minded. Even though my son Callum went to university, he was very successful with his application he got onto a Bachelor of Nursing degree and he passed all the units that he took. He decided that university life wasn't for him. He wants to work with his hands. He didn't want to do any more study, any more essay writing, and so he dropped out of that course. Does that mean that unschooling wasn't a success as far as he is concerned? Well, he got onto the course, but he didn't persevere. I think he would have been much happier pursuing an apprenticeship as a car mechanic or something similar right from the beginning and bypassing the, the university experience. But of course we learn from every experience we have, so it wasn't a total waste. My son Duncan and Imogen have had very good academic success and it might look like unschooling results in children who do well at university. What about the kids that don't want to go to university? So how would I decide whether unschooling is successful or not? I don't think it's anything to do with academic success. It's more to do with our children. Are they becoming the people that they are meant to be? All our children have individual talents. Have they been allowed 
to develop these talents, to use them? Have they got the courage to follow their dreams? Are they willing to work hard to get where they want to go? Life is not always as easy as we would like. Things don't always go as smoothly as we want. And sometimes we do find ourselves on pathways other than the ones we imagined. So I'm not saying that unschooled children will automatically be able to follow their dreams. Imogen's at that stage now. She wants to use her music, but she knows she's going to have to work very hard. She might have to do some mundane job while she works towards her dream. Unschooled children, I don't think, necessarily will step out into the career of their dreams straight away and be a perfect success. But I do think that they will work towards it. More importantly, I think that I would rate unschooling success on the type of people our children turn out to be. Are they good people? Have they got virtues? Do they know how to love? Have they got a good relationship with other people, with their family, with their friends? Ultimately, I think that love is the most important thing, the most important thing we can give our children. We want them to go out there in the world feeling like they are loved and to love other people. Because I think that it's love that's going to change the world, not a musical ability, not an academic degree. I think there's nothing more powerful than love. That probably needs a bit more explaining, and more explaining than I have time for in this podcast, but maybe it's a topic that I can mull over another time. So, back to Charlotte. What did she do this week, which was successful? Well, after those couple of years of looking like she wasn't doing much at all, when she was really busy doing her own thing very quietly and not sharing too much, she has been doing a couple of university units the last six months. And she got the results of her first university unit a few days ago. She completed this last semester. And she came to me with a big grin on her face. And she said, I've got the final result of my unit, Mum. I said, well, what was it, Charlotte? And she said, well, I got 92%, which is a high distinction. And yes, we couldn't help grinning because this is Charlotte, which I wasn't exactly sure what her preparation was for the unit. And she'd never written an essay. I think I've talked about that before. And she had to write a couple of essays for this unit. And she did remarkably well. Now, I'm not telling you this so that you think Charlotte is fantastic. What I'm telling you this for is that if a child wants to do something, an unschooling child, there's a good chance they're going to be successful. Charlotte wanted to do this unit, and she applied herself to it. She learned everything she needed to to do the unit. She has questions every now and then of my husband and of Imogen, who hadn't done this particular unit, but is a university student. When she wasn't sure about anything, she asked questions. But basically, she did the whole unit on her own. And she even put in her units without getting them checked by anybody, because I kept saying to her, well, look, Charlotte, when you finish that assignment, why don't you ask Imogen or Dad to have a look at it for you before you send it off? And every time she sent it off, and I would say to her, do you want somebody to look at that unit for you? And she said, no, Mum, I've already sent it off. I was happy with the way I did it, so I sent it. That's the way she is, and she's done remarkably well. So if we have children who are reluctant to share what they're doing, 
want to do things their way. Don't want to make us feel good by getting us involved because I think sometimes that's the biggest problem. We need to feel needed, and we'd like a little bit more information about what they're doing so that trusting them is a lot easier. But they get there; they do it by themselves, and she has done remarkably well. Really pleased about that. Last week I was talking about how I've started doing some exercise with using Fitness Blender workouts. I'm sharing the interest of my 14-year-old daughter Sophie. I've agreed to do an eight-week program. Now I'm going to give you a quick update. I don't want to talk a lot about what I'm doing. Just a little bit of feedback from other people. I had a few people who said they were encouraged to go out there and do something to get moving. After I told my story of exercise, they began to think about exercising themselves. There's a couple of things that I wanted to add because we discussed this in emails and on blog comments. Firstly, when I was talking about exercise last week, I don't expect everybody to go out there and be a runner like I am. There's lots and lots of different ways of exercising, and of course, we have to choose the particular thing that we enjoy doing. And also, we have to listen to our bodies because some of us are more healthy than others. I am so fortunate. I am hardly ever sick. I haven't got anything wrong with me whatsoever. So I think I have no excuse but to get out there and use my body. But other people are not working under such ideal conditions as I am. And of course, we must listen to the needs of our own bodies. But I think most of us. Could benefit from doing what we are actually capable of doing, but maybe aren't doing at the moment, and that's probably more than we imagine. We can push ourselves past what we're willing to do. Sometimes I'm finding that out at the moment, and I'm happy to say that I've almost completed week two of the Fitness Blender workouts, and they have been hard, tough at times. And when I've got to the end of one, oh, sweat has been dripping off me, which is probably not what you want to hear about. But yes, I'm being challenged. But I have to keep going because Sophie expects it. She's encouraging me along, and I really want to do it now. I think I've got past that first hurdle. My muscles aren't aching anymore, and I'm maybe starting to enjoy it. Now, in case you think that. My running is all quite rather smooth, and it's all very well for me. And I'm sitting here boasting about my abilities. I want to share a story about my running with you. That's not so good. This was before I became a runner. We went to a homeschool camp, and on the middle day of the camp, there was a sports carnival. Races for all children of all ages are all divided up into age groups, and there were also races for the adults, for the mothers and the fathers. The women's race was wasn't very long, maybe I don't know, two hundred meters at the very most. The mothers had to run, and my children said to me, "Are you going to run in the in the race, Mum, with all the other mothers?" And I said, "No, I'm not going to run. I didn't come prepared to run. I haven't got any running clothes or any running shoes. I was wearing a, a long skirt and boots." And the children said to me, "Well, look, Mum, the other mothers aren't dressed properly either." And they weren't. Everybody was just running in their ordinary clothes. 
And when I say everybody was running, not many mothers were running at all. Most of the mothers were sitting on the sidelines watching. And when I said, are you going to run? They all shook their heads. Oh, no, not me. And that's what I wanted to do. And my girls looked at me and I changed my mind. I said, okay, I'm going to run. And you should have seen their faces. They were so delighted. Their mother was going to have a go, be adventurous. She wasn't going to sit on the sidelines. She was going to run. So I got there on the start line with the other few brave mothers. And I thought, how difficult can this be? Look, I'm only going to have to run a 100 meters or so down there. I can do it. Maybe I've even got a chance of doing it quite well. So I took my place. The starter started the race and off I went. I was running really fast and I was dreaming of going over the finish line. I was going to win. And then all of a sudden, my feet shot out from underneath me and I just landed flat on my back. And all the other mothers went racing past me. One jumped over me. When I say all the other mothers went racing past, one of the other mothers stopped. She gave up her chance of winning the race so that she could help me to my feet. And she said, are you all right, Sue? Physically, I was fine, but I was suffering from intense embarrassment. Everybody just watched me go splat on the ground. Oh, yeah, I was so embarrassed. I crept off to the sidelines. My children came around me. Are you all right, Mum? Are you all right, Mum? And they were so concerned about me, put their arms around me, dusted me off, made me sit down. Later on, I thought it was all a big laugh. But at the time, yes, it, it was a hard experience to go to. But I went home and I was determined that next year I was going to come back and I was going to win that mother's race. By the time I came back the next year, I was a runner. And a few days before the sports carnival, the girls and I went out before breakfast every morning. We raced up and down the bush tracks, trying to get our speed up a bit. And I said to them, look, all I have to do is run about 200 meters at the most. And I'm used to running 5K. How hard can it be? I'm going to win the race this year. So off we went to the camp. And the afternoon arrived and the sports carnival began. And just as it began, the rain came down quite steadily. And everybody retreated off to the canteen area to get a cup of coffee to see if the rain was stopped. We couldn't run in the rain. Anyway, I got to chatting to a friend I hadn't seen for a whole year. And I chatted and I chatted and I chatted. And I chatted so long that I didn't notice that the rain had stopped and that everybody else had gone back out to the sports field that those few brave mothers had lined up on the start line and that the starter had said, ready, set, go, and the mothers had set off and the race was over. Eventually, I went outside and I discovered this and my children came running. What happened to you, Mum? What happened to you? We came looking for you. We couldn't find you. You missed the race. So I lost my opportunity of running in that race and I don't know if I would have won it at all, but I had to leave that one down as well. So I haven't had a chance yet of using my running in a way that would win a race. I have this dream of entering a 5K race. I'd like to do one of the bush track races, but doing it as a team with my girls. I was telling them about this the other night. I said we could all get special t-shirts with Team Elvis across the back and we could run together and see how we go. And those people in our family who aren't runners like my sons, they can be our support people. They can hand us the water bottles and everything. They can cheer us on. 
I don't know if we'd win that either, but I don't think it matters. Just doing an event together, doing our best, going out there, and being a team. Which leads me on to one final story. I was listening to an MP3 talk a couple of weeks ago. It was Father Mike Smith talking. I can't remember the title of the talk, but I can put it in the program notes if anyone is interested. And he was describing how when he was a child, he would spend all of his holidays with his family doing sporting events. They'd go and do triathlons together. They would travel from one event to another. And one holiday, they actually did an extreme skiing event. Now, Father Schmidt told the story of how his father always used to use the words cowboy up when they complained about anything. Cowboy up, you know, stop whinging about that and just get on with it. He used those words because of a cowboy movie, I think it was. I can't remember exactly how the story goes, but there must have been some tough cowboy who always kept going when things got tough. And so the father would say to him, cowboy up. I suppose we would say man up now. Anyway, one holiday they went off to this extreme skiing event. It was an event that was spread over several days. They had to sleep overnight in rest huts along the way. And it didn't take long for Father Schmidt's father to break his ski. He had one and a half skis and he did the whole event on one and a half skis. You can just imagine how difficult that was, but he didn't give up. He had the accident very early on in the event and he could have pulled out, but once he decided that he was going to continue on to the end, that's exactly what he did. Very, very slowly, very, very painful in the end because he ended up with frostbite, but never once did he complain. And Father Smith said it was all very well for his father to say cowboy up to his children. But when he actually cowboyed up himself, it had such an impression upon his children to actually do what he's been telling his children to do, to be that example. So I'm always talking about how we have to be good examples for our children. But I was delighted to hear that story unexpectedly in a talk, yeah, maybe a couple of weeks ago. The other thing he did say also was that doing things together during holidays bound the family together. And that's another thing we've been talking about, strengthening family bonds. Well, I don't know if we've got time for a resource segment or not, because I'm not sure exactly how long I've been recording, but I'm going to have a go and see whether I can tell you about a few things. The first thing I want to tell you about is the DIY site, Do It Yourself. It's a children's site with lots of different challenges that children can work towards. Lots of crafts and science experiments, photography, acting, uh, animation, photography, lots and lots of different subjects that children can fulfill various challenges and work towards getting badges. And the reason I'm thinking about this again, because my children have used this site, well, Sophie and Gemma Rose have, is me thinking about what I'm going to do for Gemma Rose now that she's not interested in what I thought she might be interested in. I suggested to her yesterday, do you remember DIY, when you were doing challenges on DIY and earning badges? Perhaps you'd like to go back and see 
what you can do on that site because I know that they have put a lot of extra content on that site. I actually read a good article written about the person who put that site together, where he got his ideas from, how he actually did DIY. It's a very good article, and if I can find the link, I will put it in the notes as well. There was a lot of good unschooling thoughts in his article. This also led me on to the thought that not everybody is going to do something fantastic because they've been unschooled. They're not all going to be entrepreneurs or inventors or do innovative things like uh, invent fabulous websites. Some of our children are going to do things a lot less showy. So we're back to success again. How do we rate success? Not everybody is going to be out there doing amazing things in the public eye. They might just be amazing in a more quiet way. I wonder if you went over and had a look at my Pinterest words after I mentioned them last week. My biggest Pinterest word at the moment is my Shakespeare one. I've been enjoying putting that one together. I think my unschooling one is going to be much bigger in the long run, but I'm still building that one up. But I found a lot of things to put on my Shakespeare Pinterest board. One of the things I want to investigate, and I've no idea if Gemma Rose is going to be interested in this, or even Sophie, but it's Shakespeare's sonnets. I don't think it matters whether they've got an interest in it or not. I'm going to be investigating Shakespeare's sonnets. I've got a number of links to... Sonnets being read out aloud by such people as David Tennant and Patrick Stewart. They all come from an iPad app called Shakespeare's Sonnets. I haven't been able to access this because I don't have an iPad, but yes, some of these videos are available online outside of the app. But the app looks a lot better than what I've been watching. It's got a lot of additional information about the sonnets. Also on my board is a trilogy for children about Shakespeare. The Shakespeare Stealer, Shakespeare's Scribe, and Shakespeare's Spy by an author called Gary Blackwood. My girls enjoyed these books immensely. Shakespeare is a character in the book, and the stories revolve around him, his plays, and the Globe Theatre. Lots of intrigue, lots of details about life in Shakespeare's day. A podcast I've been listening to which is centered about Shakespeare's day, Shakespeare's time, is Shakespeare's Restless World. That's a BBC podcast, different episode on a different object to do with Shakespeare's times, learning all sorts of things about that time in history. Each of the podcasts is only about 15 minutes long, and I think there's maybe 10, 12 in the series. Yeah, very interesting. One of our favourite ballets is Romeo and Juliet, featuring Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev, sort of stepping sideways from Shakespeare, not just his plays, but looking at ballets and musicals and other things that have been inspired by Shakespeare. Looking at music, like Prokofiev. Prokofiev wrote the music for the ballet Romeo and Juliet. Oh, back to the sonnets. I something else that I stumbled across the other day was the son someone reading the sonnets out in different locations around New York. Not all the sonnets have been recorded, but there are a number of them on a particular website. And one last thing I want to mention is a poem by C.J. Dennis. I think it's called The Play. 
Now, C.J. Dennis is an Australian poet. This is from a few years back now. And he tells the story of a production of Romeo and Juliet, describing the actors and the actresses and the theatre. And it's all written in, in Australian slang. And of course, slang changes over time. So this isn't necessarily present-day Australian slang. But it's very interesting, and we were able to work it out exactly what he was talking about, and it's very humorous. The very last line is very funny. We like it very much, and we often quote this line. Just as we get to the intense moment where Juliet is dying, we hear these words. Peanuts or lollies, says the boy upstairs. Yeah, at the most dramatic moment, someone walks by trying to sell peanuts and lollies. You'll have to read the whole poem to get the whole effect. But I like looking for things associated with Shakespeare, which we might not have considered at first thought. Like there's a few paintings as well, and musicals. West Side Story is sort of like Shakespeare musical, other things like that. So if you like to follow up any of those resources, I'll put the links on my blog. But they are also on my Shakespeare Pinterest board. So please go over there and have a look at it. Have I got time for just one tiny more story? Probably not, but I will tell you. It's a Pinterest story. I wonder when people pin other people's pins, whether they actually follow the links to see where they lead, whether they just look at the image and pin it straight onto one of their boards. Why I ask this is because I got a notification the other day saying that someone had pinned a blog post of mine called Bite-Sized Pieces of Unschool Math. And they had pinned it to a board called Recipes. So even though my blog post might have given them food for thought and my words might have left them hungry for more, I don't think they're going to find anything there that will satisfy their appetite, really. It's just a lot of links to math sites. There's no food there at all. So that is my very last story. I'm going to finish up this podcast so I hope you'll go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, where I'll post this week's notes. If you haven't already subscribed or followed my podcast, you can either subscribe to it through iTunes or follow it through Podbean, or just follow it by visiting my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I embed the podcast there every week. I also usually write a short post to go with my podcast, so even if people don't listen to the podcast, they can have a read about something to do with the topic. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope to be back next week with another episode. So until then, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.